Africa rise and shine Africa zora Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kilohertz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kilohertz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Amanda Machaka, Tabiso Luhoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at this hour, the African Union chairperson Dr. Nkosazana Dlamini Zuma says the ongoing attacks and killings of civilians in Burundi are unacceptable. And an Indian teenager yesterday scored over 1,000 runs in a single innings to set a new world record in school cricket. In economics news, Zimbabwe plans to import up to 700,000 tons of the staple maize. And in sports news, FIFA has recommended that its former Secretary-General be banned for nine years. But first up, the news with Amanda Machaka. Good morning. Niger is in the process of winning the war against Boko Haram jihadists who have staged attacks from neighboring Nigeria since February last year. That's according to the Army Chief General Seini Gaba. Boko Haram, which pledged allegiance to the Islamic State group in March, has stepped up attacks on areas of Niger, Chad and Cameroon that border Nigeria while also continuing a devastating campaign of suicide and shooting attacks on home soil. The group's six-year campaign for a hardline Islamic state in northeast Nigeria has killed 17,000 people and made more than 2.6 million others homeless. Gaba, however, did not expand on the results obtained in the Boko Haram fight back, but a humanitarian source said direct clashes between the group and Niger soldiers had almost ceased. The African Union Commission Chairperson Gosazana Dlamini Zuma says the continental bloc can still deploy peacekeepers to Burundi if the violence in the country persists. Burundian President Pierre Nkurunziza earlier threatened that his country would fight the deployment of any AU peacekeepers. Burundi has been plunged into unrest since Nkurunziza announced his bid for a third term in April last year. Dlamini Zuma met with Tanzanian Foreign Minister Augustin Mahiga in Durban. South Africa on Tuesday to discuss Burundi. She says the deployment of peacekeepers is not off the table. There would have been no reason to send troops if there, were, if there is no violence. If violence stops, there would be no reason to, to deploy any troops. But if they were to be deployed, it, it would not be to change regime it will be to ensure that the civilians are protected the government installations are also protected 
United Nations Secretary General Ban Ki-moon is recommending that 1,700 troops be cut from the UN peacekeeping mission in the Democratic Republic of Congo, the second withdrawal in two years. Ban says a further cut could be decided if progress was made in rooting out rebel groups in the east. The proposal to be discussed at a council meeting next week comes amid growing tensions in DRC over elections in November and whether President Joseph Kabila will seek another term in office. Algeria's government has unveiled draft constitutional reforms, including a two-term presidency limit, an obligatory consultation with parliament to name prime ministers and making local Amazi an official language. Algerian President Abdelaziz Bouteflika has promised a package of amendments to strengthen democracy in the North African state, which has been mostly governed by the ruling FLN party and the military since independence in 1962. The proposed reforms will go for a approval this month before Parliament, before being adopted in the Constitution. Analysts say the reforms may also be aimed at helping a stable transition should Bouteflika step down during his fourth term in power. And finally, the office of Lesotho Prime Minister Pakadi Tamusisidi wants a local radio station to be held accountable for broadcasting what it says are false allegations by the family of the late former army commander Maparangwe Mahao. The allegations relate to the government's funding of an army colonel to frustrate the Sada Commission of Inquiry. The family of the slain former army commander is reported to have made the allegations on Harvest FM radio. Prime Minister's advisor, Fakudi Koti, has written a letter to the Lesotho Communications Authority complaining that Harvest FM did not give the government the right of reply. That letter is already on social media. Dikoti's complaint is that the malicious allegation was entertained by the radio presenter who didn't bother to establish the truth of the statements. He claims that Harvest FM is on a mission to demonize the government. The government has been accused of condoning Hashazi by not filing replying affidavits in his case. The Sofana headlines at the bottom of the hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorna. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, Amanda. It's 806 Central African Time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The African Union chairperson, Dr. Nkosazana Lamini Zuma, says the ongoing attacks and killings of civilians in Burundi are unacceptable. Lamini Zuma held bilateral talks with Tanzanian Minister of Foreign Affairs, Dr. Augustine Mahiga, in South Africa's coastal city of Durban, to discuss how peace and stability can be achieved in Burundi ahead of the 26th African Union Summit in Ethiopia later this month. Mbuzom Kize reports. The UN says more than 200 people have been killed and 200,000 more displaced since the violence erupted in Burundi six months ago. The bloodshed started when President Priyank Urundinza ran for a third term as head of state. His opponents say the move contravened the Arusha Accords which was signed after a decade-long civil war in the country. As people continue to die, the international community, including NGOs, has urged the African Union to intervene in the conflict and deploy peacekeepers to Burundi. 
Tanzanian Foreign Affairs Minister Dr. Agustin Mahinga says they have accepted tens of thousands of displaced people. We have been receiving refugees in Tanzania for the past six months. The numbers are now in excess of 150,000, uh, but we we hope there won't be any more um, refugees as the situation hopefully uh, stabilizes. But there have also been some refugees to other neighboring countries, Rwanda and the Democratic Republic of Congo. Meanwhile, a U-chairperson, Kosazan Izamini Zuma, has described the ongoing attacks and killings of civilians in Burundi as unacceptable. She says they wanted to reach a consensus with Tanzania, a major role player in the region regarding the conflict in Burundi. She says the deployment of peacekeepers is not off the table if the violence persists. There would have been no reason to send troops if there, were, if there is no violence. If violence stops, there would be no reason to to deploy any troops. But if they were to be deployed, it, it would not be to change regime. It will be to ensure that the civilians are protected, the government installations are also protected. Zamini Zuma has urged Burundians to engage in dialogue so that a peaceful solution can be found and stability restored. We, we, we have now moved with, from that because the president is there, he was elected. Uh, so what is occupying our minds now is peace and stability and security in Burundi so that the Burundians can continue to develop their country, to deal with poverty, education, health, and all the issues that we are all grappling with. Dozens of African leaders are expected in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa, for the 26th African Union Summit later this month. Burundi is expected to be one of the major topics to be discussed during the summit. I am Busom Kize in Durban. The Kenyan government has reopened Garissa University in the northern part of the country where 148 students were killed by Somalia's al-Shabaab terrorists a year ago. Already the university's registrar has confirmed that more than 200 members of staff have reported for work pending the arrival of students before the end of this week. And in a move aimed at preventing future terrorist attacks, government has heightened security by constructing a police post at the university's compound. James Manula has more. The main gate at Garissa University College campus reopened on Monday, nine months after being targeted by the Somali Islamist group Al-Shabaab. The university registrar Isaac Mohamed Noor confirmed that more than 200 members of staff reported for work. Noor said students are expected to report for classes beginning next week. Speaking at the university shortly after it reopened, Principal Professor Ahmed Wafa said heavy security measures have been put in place at the university campus. We have put our police post, there are about 25 police officers, and we hope that will be tight enough to help us secure this university. 
We also plans to put a perimeter wall. Garissa University is located in Kenya's remote northeastern region on the border with Somalia. Al-Shabaab militants raided the campus in April last year and gunned down people they identified as Christians. The 15-hour siege ended with the security forces killing the four attackers. Shortly after the attack that claimed the lives of 148 students, the 700 surviving students were readmitted at Moy University, west of the capital Nairobi, to complete their courses. Kenya's Deputy President William Ruto underscored the importance of stepping up security at the university and made this promise. As government, we are going to make sure that all these facilities that have been put at the disposal of the children of Kenya for there to be learning at the university level in this institution will continue. We will make sure that there is adequate personnel to man and to guarantee the security of uh, the students, the community, the teaching staff, and this uh, town and county. We're not willing, we're not prepared to feed an inch of Kenya to criminals or terrorists. We will defend every inch of Kenyan soil. The attack at Garissa University was the worst in Kenya since Al-Qaeda-linked terrorists blew up the United States Embassy in Nairobi, killing more than 200 people. The Islamists are targeting Kenya over the presence of its peacekeepers in neighboring Somalia. The Kenya government therefore embarked on the construction of a security wall along its 700-kilometer border with the neighboring Somalia with the hope of keeping the militants away. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. Football's governing body FIFA has been sinking under a corruption scandal for months and the debate slated for January the 26th will give the candidates an opportunity to publicly set out their case for being elected. Jack Parrock reports. A global institution in disarray. FIFA is desperately searching for the right person to take the helm to drag its name out of the gutter. And here at the European Parliament in Brussels, they're doing everything they can to assert pressure to clean up FIFA, which is why they've organised a debate between the presidential candidates. Mark Tarabella is a Belgian MEP who's part of the new FIFA Now campaign. I think that we have a role of pressure uh, in the European Parliament with all colleagues from several political groups, several countries, to say football is the most popular sport in the world. We have to clean the image of the International Federation. And of course, we don't vote, but we are in a way of pressure. The South African candidate, Tokyo Sekwale, has confirmed his attendance to the Brussels event, as has Prince Ali Al Hussein, the odds-on favourite to win the election when the 209 national footballing associations that make up FIFA cast their votes. Tokyo Sekwale is currently fourth with the bookies. The reason we have put ourselves up as candidates is because we feel that the brand is damaged and things need to be done, not in the same old way, in a different way. Whoever ends up as president will have to work tirelessly to regain trust in FIFA after Sepp Blatter, who held the position for 17 years, was banned for eight years for a wide-scale corruption scandal at the Federation, including millions of dollars worth of illegal payments. 
The debate here in the European Parliament is just one opportunity for the FIFA presidential candidates to be scrutinised before the election in Zurich on February 26th. Jack Parrick, Brussels. South Africa's Western Cape Education MEC Debbie Schaefer says she's extremely pleased that her province came out tops in the 2015 metric results. From 82.4% in 2014, Gauteng came second with 84.2% and the Free State third with 81.6%. Wisani Makubele spoke to Schaefer following the release of the results yesterday. We will come back to the story after these promos. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka. I am an African. I owe my being to the hills and the valleys, the mountains and the glades, the rivers, the deserts, the trees, the flowers, the seas and the ever-changing seasons that define the face of our native land. My body has frozen in our frosts and in our latter-day snows. It has thawed in the warmth of our sunshine and melted in the heat of the midday sun. The crack and the rumble of the summer thunders, lashed by startling lightning, have been a cause both of trembling and of hope. The fragrances of nature have been as pleasant to us as the sight of the wild blooms of the citizens of the felt. The dramatic shapes of the dragon's back, the soil-colored waters of the Likwa, Ikreli, Notugel, and the sands of the Kharahad have all been panels of the set on the natural stage on which we act out the foolish deeds of the theater of the day. At times, and in fear, I have wondered whether I should concede equal citizenship of our country to the leopard and the lion, the elephant and the springbok, the hyena, the black mamba, and the pestilential mosquito. A human presence among all of these, a feature on the face of our native land just defined, I know that none dare challenge me when I say I am an African. This is Channel Africa, informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. The UN says more than. I am very, very happy with our performance this year. Um, I'm extremely um, glad that not only have we got to position number one in the country, but we've also managed to improve our quality of passes, which is what we have been emphasizing for a number of years. We've improved in our bachelor's pass rate and uh, percentages and numbers. We've improved in our uh, in, uh, maths and science passes in numbers and percentages, and we've managed to retain 3% more learners in the system than last year. So overall, I'm very, very pleased. And how does this result compare to last year's one? Last year, um, well, first of all, last year we came at number, position number four, which we were not happy with. Uh, we did have some concerns um, about um, the calculation of that position. Uh, but um, 
we got 82.2% passes uh, last year. But what it makes me particularly pleased this year is that not only have we got to number one, but we've, we are the only province, in fact, that has increased um, from last year's pass rate, um, which also makes me very happy. And what do you think worked this time around? Um, when I said uh, you know, I was a little concerned about the, the, how they were calculated, we have had some concerns for a number of years about the consistency of marking across the board in the, in the country. And Umalusi this year has said that there were wild fluctuations in marks from the, between different provinces at some times. And uh, I think the fact that they've clamped down on that now and, and are really trying, uh, from what I can see, to ensure that marking is done um, you know, more consistently across the country, I think that has assisted us because we believe that we may have uh, been at a little disadvantage in fact, one of the uh, academics has even said as much uh, last year, I believe, um, that, that we require our metric markers to, to do competency tests, and we, they may be a little stricter than some other markers. So I think that has been one of the factors. But the reality is we have for a number of years been uh, implementing um, interventions at various levels to try and improve performance. We're improving all the time on uh, quality in every area. We have, uh, as I say, we do competency tests for metric markers. We also now have introduced competency tests for appointment of principals. So we're trying very hard to ensure that people who are appointed in the right positions to make sure that the right people in the right places uh, and to get the right leadership at the different levels where we need it. There was an issue of progressed learners. How did you cope with that? We're very concerned about progression as a whole, as a policy. Um, it's got some serious problems, but at least the minister has acknowledged that now and, and is, is uh, promising to deal with that this year in a better way. Uh, what we did is, is what you know other provinces also did. Uh, the DBE, um, towards the end of last year, came up with the, um, the possibility of letting learners do modular uh, metric. So those who couldn't, who didn't feel confident, perhaps in doing three, uh, you know, all six subjects could do three and maybe four or whatever they felt comfortable with. So all provinces did that and we did the same but we've also had a lot of uh, extra effort put into those progressed learners to give them extra classes and ensure they had extra support uh, and uh, yeah we got I think 39% of those learners in fact passed so it's been a lot of effort but um, you know if they hadn't been helped they could have fallen out of the system. Your main challenges in 2015? Money. <laughs> 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 we really have a We've got a huge problem with the, with the national budget uh, crisis, as I, I would say, um, in trying to cater for all the learners that we have. Every year we have about 20,000 additional learners coming to our province uh, wanting education, and obviously we want to provide it for them, but we really are having a, a problem trying to provide sufficient schools and sufficient teachers for them. Um, so that's one of the problems. Um, and also we, it's difficult for many of our, of our communities. They have a, an unemployment, high unemployment rates, can't afford school fees, and we would really also like to make more no-fee schools possible. But, you know, with the current budgetary f uh, crisis, it's very difficult. So... We would like to do that and we also would like to you know, expand our pro-poor measures, but we aren't always able to do that as much as we would like. And obviously there are areas that you would feel that need improvement. Um, so for the year 2016, what will you be focusing more on? It's definitely language. We are focusing on grade R to 3 particularly. We do not want to progress learners who are not able to cope with the work, so we're looking very much at that this year. I want to provide extra remedial assistance for the learners who need it because I believe one of the problems with the progression policy is that the learners should have been getting uh, extra help at a lower level, but they haven't in fact been doing so. So the Minister's reference to extra remedial, um, I think she said in 2017, is very, very welcome. So we can't do that ourselves, as I said, 
because of many constraints, but we will be looking wherever possible to try and intervene at an earlier stage in the learners' careers so that if they're battling in grade one or two, they don't get progressed until they can actually read and write at the appropriate levels. And hopefully if we can get that right, it will then filter through the system as a whole. Western Cape Education MEC Debbie Schaefer speaking to Wisani Makubele. Despite missing two terms of schooling due to ill health, Andrew Tucker from Sachs High in Cape Town still managed to become the overall top learner in the matric class of 2015. He was diagnosed with a rare syndrome, a Julian Bear in February. He couldn't even do basic things like bathing on his own without assistance. Upon his return in the third term of the year, he went the extra mile in order to catch up. Last night, he was named the best learner in 2015. Wisani Makubele spoke to him about being a top performer. Well, I was announced as uh, the top learner overall in the country today, which is absolutely amazing. Amazing indeed. Did you expect it? No, you can't expect something like that. But, um, you know, it's a dream come true and it's something I've been dreaming about for a long time. So that now that it's a reality, especially with my setbacks this year, it feels absolutely amazing. When we spoke yesterday, you didn't know what exactly to expect, but you knew that you were one of the top performers. And now that it has been confirmed uh, and as the overall top performer, surely that means a lot to you. No, I'm absolutely on top of the world and I feel so emotional because of what I've been through this year. And, you know, I don't have words to describe how I feel. How did you manage this? Well, after I missed the first term of school and a lot of the second term, I did a lot of catching up of work um, through my friends and also going into school for a couple of hours at a time to um, uh, speak to my teachers. And through the support system that the school offered, I have to thank my headmaster, Mr. Ball, and all of my teachers for being so supportive, as well as all of my fellow matrix for always supporting me. And um, also then my family, of course, for giving me the love and support that I needed during that time. And that's how I managed to get through it. But what did you struggle the most with during the year? I think it was the fatigue, which was um, related to my my illness, and then obviously the stress that accompanied everything. It was a very stressful year, and I felt like I was at breaking point a lot of the time. And going from a point where I thought I might not be able to complete my matric in in 2015 to being where I am today is absolutely humbling. I I don't have words for it. And what was your coping mechanism throughout your struggles? I would say, I don't know, I mean, I have quite a few coping mechanisms in place. Once I was slightly better towards the end of the year now, when I started um, to run again, that definitely was one of my coping mechanisms. When I was feeling stressed and feeling, you know, um, fatigued mentally, I would hit the road and it would definitely clear my mind and that would allow me to to focus on my work. And how are you feeling now uh, physically and mentally? Um, I would say I'm I'm 99% of the way there in terms of recovery physically but um, mentally the year has been taxing and you know it's just it's been it's been so tough that all the stress has really taken its toll and what are the plans for the year i'm going to be studying medicine at uct have you been accepted yet i've been conditionally accepted and hopefully after i get my results tomorrow i'll be um, accepted fully is that what you really want to do in life? Yes, that is. And I think it's as a result of what I went through this year. He ran out of questions. I was put into the is that what you really want to do in life? Like really? Somebody who's very ill. And I want to be able to do what my doctor did for me one day by qualifying as a medical doctor. Before you, you, you fell ill, what did you want to do? 
I was on the fence between medicine and something along the lines of business science, um, but I realized that you know what I want to do is go into medicine because of everything that happened. All the best. Thank you very much. Andrew Tucker from Saks High in Cape Town speaking to our reporter with Sani Makubele. A few months ago, South Africa's quality assurance body Umalusi announced that more learners were running away from subjects such as mathematics and physical science, opting for subjects that are considered easy. But Hamandishe Mativa from Mbilui Secondary in the country's Limpopo province is definitely not one of those. He has just been named the overall top achiever mathematics and physical science in the matric class of 2015. Wisani Makubele spoke to him to find out how he did it. I was the top achiever in physical sciences and I was also the overall top achiever in physical sciences and mathematics and I was also third in quintile four. How do you feel about such achievements? Oh, it, I don't know. It, I still can't believe it. It still feels like a dream. I, I knew I would achieve well, that I would perform well, but I didn't think it would go this far. Yeah. How did you do it? Well, from the beginning of the year, I wrote down a plan as to what I wanted to achieve after the final exam. And throughout the year, I was slowly taking the steps to achieve that. <laughs> how d- how did you goal. do it? Really? How disciplined were you in following on your plan? Well, there were times when I didn't actually follow it because of laziness or something like that. But my friends and family really motivated me to stick to what I wanted to do because they believed in me even when I didn't think I could achieve it. What were the challenges during the, the course of the year that maybe at some point you thought, no, I can't do this? Well, the shift from grade 11 from grade 12, was very, it was a drastic change that the workload was so much. And at the beginning of the year, you felt that I can't do this, this is too much work. But you need to dig deep and focus. There were so many distractions, like... Uh, social media i had to stop i had to deactivate my facebook i had to stop watching tv because i needed to focus on my goal what made you believe that you could achieve this well uh, from throughout my schooling career i've always been the top learner at my school so that was like the motivation and the it gave me the belief that i could achieve great things but also friends and family and also the teachers at school they believed in me that you're going to go to the nationals. They always told me. But I didn't quite believe them because I always had doubts. But it's nice to know that it came true. Where to from here? I want to study computer science at the University of Cape Town. And probably after that, I would like to start my own software company. Why computer science? Well, I've always had a fascination for computers, how they work and how, what it takes to build them and also in the 21st century everything is getting technological and digital so having the knowledge of computers and creating software is going to be like a big thing that could possibly determine the future of the world and how far do you want to go in that field well i want to at least get an honest degree before i become an entrepreneur and start my company Hamandishe Mativa from Mbilui Secondary in Limbobo speaking to Wisani Makubele. It's 8.31 and our headlines up next with Amanda Machaka. Thanks, Lou. Good morning. 
Niger in the process of winning the war against Boko Haram jihadists who have staged attacks from neighboring Nigeria since February last year. The African Union Commission Chairperson Gosaza Nadlamini Zuma says the continental bloc can still deploy peacekeepers to Burundi if the violence in the country persists. And UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon recommends that 1,700 troops be cut from the UN peacekeeping mission in DRC, the second drawdown in two years. Details at 9. Thank you, Amanda. The Justice Project South Africa claims the road fatality figures are being withheld on purpose because more people have been killed on the country's roads over the festive season compared to previous years. It's estimated that close to 8,000 people have died on our country's roads during the past five festive seasons, but the Transport Department and the Road Traffic Management Corporation are yet to issue out definite road fatality figures. Jacques Stienkamp reports. Justice Project SA says the Road Traffic Management Corporation and the Department of Transport stopped updating the public on the rising death toll because the figures seem to show an increase in road fatalities. The organization's Howard Dembowski says the last time the latest figures were released was around the 20th of December. It's very difficult to understand what their motivation for doing so is, given the fact that this is the first time in South African road safety history that our annual road fatalities during the festive season have not been reported on an ongoing basis every two or three days. And quite frankly, I don't think that this is in the interests of road safety. Dembowski claims the RTMC has not released a single comprehensive road traffic report since 2011. The last time that that was actually monitored was in the 2010-2011 financial year. Since then, we've been scratching around in the dark and, you know, one can only guess what it is that the, the RTMC and the Department of Transport is in fact telling the United Nations with respect to South Africa's progress on the United Nations Decade of Action for Road Safety 2011 to 2020. The fact is that if no statistics exist, how are we actually monitoring our progress on reducing road fatalities by 50% by 2020? It's very difficult to understand that as well also very difficult to understand how any valid kind of planning could actually be implemented on the basis of having no data at your fingertips. Transport Minister DePio Peters launched the Road Safety Advisory Council in March last year in an attempt to reduce road fatalities. But Dembowski says the council has done absolutely nothing since their inception. I'm going to treat that as a rhetorical question and I'm going to ask what media releases anybody has seen from the Road Safety Advisory Council. I would like to ask anybody uh, what recommendations have been forthcoming from this so-called Road Safety Advisory Council, apart from people promoting their own businesses by uh, sitting on that. However, the RTMC Simon Zwani says the Justice Project SA is trying to mislead the public. Because people are very disingenuous. When we release statistics, they always question the veracity of those statistics. And when we say that we will be taking time to verify statistics, 
so that they are reliable, they again complain. The statement they are making is even untrue because on the 4th of January, the minister released statistics to the SAPC and she said that at that point, there were more than a 1,000 people that had already died on the roads, but there was a process of verifying the information. Zwane is confident that this year's figures will continue to show a decrease in road fatalities. I don't have the figures in front of me, but what the figures indicate is that in 2010, for instance, there were 1,700 people who died in that year, and the figures have been coming down since that time. According to the SABC Research Unit, over 1,368 people were killed during the 2014-2015 festive season. But Zwani says the country will learn in the coming week whether this year's death toll went up or down. Next week on Tuesday or Wednesday, there will be report is verified. ER24's Russell Mayring says their data shows a definite increase in the number of road fatalities compared to the previous years. In the first two weeks of the festive season, mainly December, we saw a decrease in the number of incidences that occurred, but an increase of injuries and fatalities. Some of our stats show that from the 20th of December to the end of the month, we have attended to almost over 1,500 incidents which involve motor vehicle collisions, pedestrian vehicle accidents, as well as motorbike accidents. And that report by Jacques Steenkamp. Most analysts and economists have warned that the downgrade of South Africa's power utility ESCOM by ratings agencies will hamper growth and will hit consumers hard. This could also mean that electricity prices could go up next quarter as ESCOM is due to review its annual tariff increase. ESCOM was downgraded by all major ratings agencies, but government has warned that it will be tough on SOEs, this especially on corporate governance. Morafe Dabane reports. The downgrade of ESCOM by ratings agencies will increase the entity's cost of borrowing. Moody's moved its outlook from stable to negative, while Fish downgraded the power utility from triple B plus to triple B. It highlighted that it will continue to assess the links between government and ESCOM. Following his reappointment last month, Finance Minister Previn Gordon said strict fiscal measures will be applied when dealing with state-owned entities. We have been clear that one of the risks of our fiscal framework is the financial state of state-owned entities or companies. Let me emphasize that any support to these companies will be done in a fiscally sustainable manner. As President Zuma said, and I quote, No state-owned entity will dictate to government how it should be assisted and nothing will be done that runs contrary to the fiscal prudence that our country is renowned for. Close quote. Energy expert Chris Yelland explains how the downgrade is likely to affect the economy. Any downgrade in Eskom's credit rating, as it was uh, last year, uh, downgraded to so-called junk status, um, it pushes up the cost of borrowing, and these costs are ultimately recovered uh, by ESCOM through the tariff. Uh, and therefore, uh, the person in the street, uh, domestic users, as well as uh, business and industry, uh, ultimately uh, pay extra prices uh, in the tariff as ESCOM recovers um, these extra costs of borrowing. And the cost of borrowing in ESCOM's uh, world and ESCOM's uh, financial uh, world uh, is extremely uh, high. Uh, It's a good portion of their overall costs uh, so that any uh, change in the credit rating does make a significant impact ultimately 
uh, on the cost of electricity. The challenge for ESCOM, according to Yelland, is that when electricity prices go up, some consumers turn to alternative sources of energy, which increases ESCOM's costs. ESCOM are applying to the regulator for further tariff increases to recover and to recover the reduction in sales volumes that they are experiencing. ESCOM has already been granted an 8% tariff increase, which will come into effect on the 1st of April. This is in terms of the multi-year price determination. The power utility has applied again to the regulator NERSA to be granted an increase in order to cover the unexpected costs the company has incurred. Yelland says there's a possibility that NERSA might grant ESCOM the tariff increase. ESCOM has submitted an application to the regulator, uh, which if granted, together with the 8% they've already received, will mean an uh, increase in electricity of uh, about 16% uh, on the 1st of April 2016. Uh, that is, of course, if ESCOM get their way and if the regulator grants the increase that ESCOM has applied for. That report by Murafe Dabane. It's 8.40 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. South Africa's ruling African National Congress has called for laws to criminalize racism. The governing party yesterday laid charges of criminal injuria against several South Africans for racist comments posted on social media. They include economist Chris Hart, Justin van Heerden, Democratic Alliance Member of Parliament Mike Waters and Penny Sparrow. The ANC says using influential platforms such as social media to spread racism has potential to move the country back to the apartheid era. Senior political journalist Amos Pachel reports. The ANC has called for zero tolerance against racism. The recent furor was sparked by KZN-based realtor Penny Sparrow when she referred to black people as monkeys. Tensions heightened as suspended Standard Bank economist Chris Hart tweeted, I quote, More than 20 years after apartheid ended, the victims are increasing along with a sense of entitlement and hatred towards minorities' close code. More racist posts started emerging. ANC spokesperson Zizi Godwa laid charges against Sparrow and several others at the Hillborough police station. He says they cannot wait and watch while the dignity of black majority is being trampled upon. We've seen a number of racists over the past few days harvested from one particular political organization. If you look at whether people like Chris Roberts, a DA councillor in the Nelson Mandela municipality, who called other DA black councillors Babayanis. You talk about Mike Waters, a member of parliament in Cape Town of a Democratic Alliance, who called people who voted the ANC chewing like dogs, who using their hearts to vote. You're talking about recently Kola Barnard. You're talking about Tipeni. So there's a theme to all these people that they come from one nest, and that nest is called the Democratic Alliance. And we think that it's important that all South Africans must unite because we cannot negotiate racism. Next week, the ANC will also approach the Human Rights Commission to investigate the recent spate of racist comments on social media. Godwa says the posting of vulgar comments is not only in violation of the user policies of the respective social media platforms, but also violates the human rights of those insulted. It's important that we are calling for both the police and the procedural authority to investigate and prosecute. I think what has happened over the past few days is actually igniting racial polarization in the country, which may bring back some of the progress we have made. 
I think what is important is that we need to punish racists. It's important to criminalize. Unless we take an action, a person like Penny would make, make a mistake and apologize because there is no action that has been taken except to apologize or to be suspended by a party. Human Rights Commission must come and defend and promote human rights in this country because without human rights in this country, we'll continue to have this kind of utterances which seeks to undermine and dehumanize black majority in this country. Meanwhile, individuals such as popular radio DJs Boo and Jimmy Manyo of the Progressive Professionals Forum also joined the ANC's anti-racism campaign. Manyo supported the ANC's cause for racism to be criminalized. We will be approaching the African National Congress as a leader of society to make a submission to ensure that there is a law that uh, will ensure that racism is outlawed, racism is actually criminalized. Attempts to get comment from the Democratic Alliance were unsuccessful. I'm Amos Power in Johannesburg. An Indian teenager yesterday scored over 1,000 runs in a single innings to set a new world record in school cricket. This feat drew reactions ranging from disbelief to praise and legendary batsmen Sachin Tenduka and others predicted Pranav Danawade who on Monday made champions look ordinary was cut out for bigger things in life. Ranasen has more. Pranav broke the world's previous record of 628 runs set by England's Arthur Collins in 1899. The 15-year-old hit 1,009 runs not out from 322 balls during an officially recorded school tournament in Mumbai, where such events are highly competitive. The teenager who just had milk for breakfast hit 129 fours and 59 sixes when his side Casey Gandhi school declared on 1,465 runs for two. His strike rate 312.38 was yet another eye-watering milestone. And as his sizzling knock propelled the wiry batsman to the top of the trends on Twitter India, Pranav, who can barely speak English, confessed he was not counting the runs during his marathon innings. But uh, when I especially go to batting, I, in my life didn't give like this that I want to score such a big record. I just score my, I just done my batting and then I was, uh, slowly, slowly my score has gone and I break the record. Feeling very happy to uh, like breaking a record of some, such a big players like Sachin, Kamli, Harman Jafar, uh, breaking those records, I am feeling very happy. Mumbai school cricket has produced players such as Tendulkar and current Indian opener Rohit Sharma. Reacting to Pranav's score, India's limited over skipper Mahinder Singh Dhoni admitted he himself wouldn't have had the patience to occupy the crease for that long. It's good that somebody has done that and you know he must be a very special kid. He must be practicing a lot to do something like that because I would have got bored you know batting for so long. So and and I don't think he's somebody who who scored it by ones and twos I, I think he hit a lot of sixes so that's again a good sign you know, which means he's picking the right deliveries to hit and at the same time he's calculating his batting The Mammoth performance came just a day after a court nominated panel called for a major shake up in India's cricket board at- And that report by Rana Sen Our economics update up next with Tabiso Lohoku
Head of the International Monetary Fund, Christine Lagarde, has endorsed Nigeria's efforts to tackle corruption. Speaking after talks with President Mohamedou Buhari, Lagarde said she was not in Nigeria to negotiate alone. She backed what she called the Buhari's very important fight against corruption and said that the president's reform push could have a positive impact across West Africa. The U.S. has stalled its decision on whether to suspend South Africa from the African Growth and Opportunity Act, AGOA. On Monday, South Africa's Department of Trade and Industries Minister Rob Davies spoke of the possible suspension of the country from AGOA and said that the move would hugely affect the agricultural sector. AGOA, renewed by U.S. lawmakers in June last year, eliminates import levies on more than 7,000 products. Most South African analysts and economists have warned that the downgrade of South Africa's power utility ESCOM by ratings agencies will hamper growth and will hit consumers hard. This could also mean that electricity prices could go up next quarter, as ESCOM is due to review its annual tariff increases. Murafet Dabane reports. The downgrade of ESCOM by ratings agencies will increase the entity's cost of borrowing. Moody's moved its outlook from stable to negative, while Fish downgraded the power utility from triple B plus to triple B. It highlighted that it will continue to assess the links between government and ESCOM. An employee of Mimosa Platinum has been fatally injured while working underground at its mine in Shivavani in Zimbabwe. There have been no other injuries reported. Mimosa is a joint venture between Aquarius Mine and Impala Platinum. The company says the relevant regulatory authorities have been informed and a full investigation is currently underway. Uganda's finance ministry has lowered the East African country's 2015-16 economic growth forecast to 5% from a previous projection of 5.8%. In a budget policy paper, the ministry also forecasts the growth would climb back to 5.8% in 2016-17. Last year, the central bank raised its benchmark policy rate several times. The South African rand trades at 15.57 to the US dollar. 11.16 Botswana Pula, 10.99 in Zambia. 0.68 British pound, 0.92 euro. Gold, 1078 dollars. Platinum, 881 dollars an ounce. Brand crude oil, 36 dollars for three cents a barrel. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Thank you, Tabiso. Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. In our sports update this hour, we're betting off with cricket news. England cricket's assistant coach Paul Febas says Protea's batsman, Temba Bavuma, is a very talented player. 
Bavuma scored his maiden century against the English at Newlands on Tuesday in day four of the second test of the series against England. He became the first black African player to do so in South Africa's test cricket history. Fabrice says Bavuma played magnificently. Right from the start, his first scoring shot through extra cover, uh, he played superbly. It was a fantastic innings, wasn't it? As I said, from, from start to finish, I mean, he gave one opportunity, uh, he gave a tough chance, but he, I thought he played brilliantly. He really did play fantastically well. Um, you know, he, he front, front and back foot, um, both sides of the pitch, it was an outstanding innings. Bavuma says reaching 100 at Newlands is a special moment for him and hopes to be a role model for others. I am born here in Cape Town. I'm in cricket. This is where I learned cricket, the passion. You know, I'm a crew from here. So, you know, having been able to achieve this kind of milestone, you know, at uh, my favorite ground in the world, I think it makes it a bit more special. So when I actually, when I made the SA school side in under 19, that's when I, I kind of got the rela- realization that, you know, cricket can be more than just a passion, but it can be something that I, that I do to inspire other people. An Indian teenager scored over 1,000 runs in a single innings to set a new world record in school cricket. This feat drew reactions ranging from disbelief to praise and legendary batsman Sachin Tendulkar and others predicted Pranav Danawade, who, who on Monday made champions look ordinary, was cut out for bigger things in life. Pravan Danawade, speaking through an interpreter, says he's delighted with his feat. But uh, when I especially go to batting, I, in my life I didn't give like this that I want to score such a big record. I just score my, I just done my batting and then I was, uh, slowly, slowly my score has gone and I break the record. Feeling very happy to uh, like breaking a record of some, such a big players like Sachin, Kamli, Harman Jafar, uh, breaking those records, I'm feeling very happy. On to football news, FIFA has recommended that its former Secretary General Jerome Valk is banned from football for nine years. The Frenchman was alleged to be implicated in a scheme to profit from the sale of World Cup tickets. The 55-year-old Valk, who also faces bribery allegations, denies any wrongdoing. Seb Blatter, the outgoing president of World Football's governing body, and Vice President Michel Platini were both suspended for eight years in December following a FIFA ethics investigation. Still with football news, Zinedine Zidane, who succeeds Rafael Benitez, becomes the 11th manager to be appointed by Florentino Perez during his 12 years as club president. Thousands of Real Madrid supporters applauded Zidane at the Valdebebas training ground as he put his players through their paces for the first time since being appointed manager until at least the end of the season. Zidane staged his first official press conference on Tuesday and says his glory as a player will not mean he will be given more time as a coach. No, not at all. I think in any case, the role of a coach is to get results, and that will be the same thing for me. Despite my past and despite everything that's happened as a player, I think the most important thing for me today is the new chapter that begins for me, and the important thing is to win games. And finally, with tennis news, defending champions David Ferrer crashed out in the first round of the Qatar Open on Tuesday afternoon, beaten in three sets by Ukraine's Ilya Machenko, ranked number 94 in the world. Ferrer, the number four seed, struggled throughout, losing his serve in the very first game and eventually going down 7-6, 3-6, 2-6 in an eventful clash lasting over two 
and a quarter hours. That's your sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at this hour, African Union Chairperson Dr. Nkosazana Lamini Zuma says the ongoing attacks and killings of civilians in Burundi are unacceptable. And South Africa's Western Cape Education MEC Debbie Schaefer says she is extremely pleased that her province came out tops in the 2015 metric results. And that's a wrap of Africa Rise and Shine today. From myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Tracy Bumgar, technical producer Mario Edwards, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or send an SMS on plus 277-969-57930. Now taking us to the top of the hour for the news is the Bala Brothers with Kumbula. Oh, my God.